Hey everyone, and welcome to SermonCast, a Cheyenne Hills podcast where you can find just the message portion of our services each week. We hope this gives you the opportunity to better digest the teaching portion of our services, whether listening to them again or hearing them for the first time. And now here's today's message. Thank you guys. I would, would you just join me in saying thank you to them? That was an awesome set. Kind of got my Christmas spirit even going. Good job. <clears throat> I told them after I, I listened to the warm, you know, the practice and whatnot. It's like, man, I was just telling them what a cool set that was. And I love the Christmas part of it. And love the battle belongs to the Lord. I'm going to talk about a battle today and you're going to hear that. So I thought that was, it was perfect. But, um, I'm going to talk about this glory over Persia, which is Iran. And what we mostly hear out of Iran is death to America, death to Israel. But what's going on in, in Iran today, <clears throat> according to a, an article I wrote, read not long ago, but there's some miraculous things going on behind the scenes. Lots of people, are come, millions, have come to faith in Jesus Christ. And some of them are seeing visions. Some of them are having, I don't know, kind of supernatural things happen as far as answers to prayer. And as a result, they're meeting in house churches, tens, fifteens at a time, in these homes. But they have to be really quiet. And they do worship, you know, kind of like what we do. I suppose they have some similar kind of songs. But they're having to play very, very softly or not at all. And they sing very, very softly, or just at a whisper, these songs of worship. And I just was telling the worship team, isn't it nice just to be able to belt out your, your heart and be able to sing freely and not have to, to worry about, what if somebody hears this, they'll turn us in, and then we're... I will just tell you, that's, I just think it's a fantastic thing. So to be able to, to worship like that. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about the prince of Persia, and, and glory over Persia. The, this what we're talking about, this gl- glory revolution, is basically a glory takeover. In other words, I think we're seeing this in some ways, even in Persia, in very oppressed places, uh, China and some others. Uh, you're seeing some of this glory revolution. My challenge is that we have this glory revolution in your own heart, making sure that we're giving glory to Almighty God, who who is the one who is fitting for glory. And... Um, to receive our glory. But this glory is a mystery. And I think to try to describe it last week, I was trying to describe the glory. Is it uh, Shekinah glory? Is it glory from uh, external? Is it within? Is it a place? Is it a, is it a noun? Is it a verb? What is this glory? And I will tell you, um, this idea of a glory revolution, of glory taking over your soul, I think is really putting Christ in that number one place. But I will also tell you there's a mystery in this glory. And the things I'm going to talk about today are mysterious. You kind of have to get your, I don't know, national treasure on, or you had to have to get your uh, Indiana Jones face on. Try to understand there's a treasure map. There's a, there's a mystery of trying to follow the truth to understand or to follow the, 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 what the Bible gives us as snapshots of the picture so that we can actually fully embrace and understand what God's glory. One of those things, this mystery is, I, I read last week in Colossians chapter 1, 26 through 27. I think it's, I think it's a great example. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. <clears throat> to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, which is, are you ready for the mystery? Here it is. Christ in you the hope of glory. 
Now, those of us in the Old Testament or in the New Testament times, we think, well, that's not that mysterious. We knew that we've known that you probably known it since you were a kid. But the Old Testament didn't know this kind of glory. Christ in you. That's your hope of glory. That's the mystery. It's Christ and having a relationship with him. And I would hope that if there's a glory revolution that takes part in your soul today, this week, this Christmas season, I hope that God, the hound of heaven, is going to get close enough to you where you'll say, I realize that it's God that needs to get the glory. That I need Christ in me to understand that I can have this hope of glory. Glory revolution, a takeover. I hope that's happening with you. First of all, I'm going to talk about today is glory in the battle. There is a battle. Now, I told you earlier, you kind of need to get your Indiana Jones on this one. You almost have to have your Marvel comic book thing going because there's a battle that goes on in the, the heavenlies, apparently, according to these passages. I'm just going to read them to you just to try to help you understand. But there is a battle that goes on for, for nations. But I also believe there's a battle that's going on for you. Let's take a look at the, the battle for the nations, all right? <laughs> Glory in battle, Gabriel and, and Michael, the prince of Israel. Daniel chapter 10 is where I want to start. <laughs> Verses 1 through 14. And it was this, he says, In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, the word revealed to Daniel. In other words, so Daniel was in chapter 10, he's in Persia. Chapter 2, he's in Babylon. But the Medo-Persians came in, they conquered Babylon, took some of the people over to Susa, those of you who are tracking with me, Susa is also the place of Queen Esther, but she was about 150 years later than Daniel, just so you know. Daniel's about 550 BC. She was about 150 years later. So it gives you some idea of the, the context of, of where this is going. He was in Persia. He had this, this vision. And the word came to him, and he understood the vision. And he was, he was mourning, he was crying, he was praying, he was fasting for, for weeks, he was standing on the Tigris River. And then in verse 5 it says this, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen, with a belt of fine gold, a paz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were like flaming torches, his legs and arms like gleam of burnished bronze. The sound of his words are like the sound of a multitude. Now, if you're a Bible reader at all, this sounds a whole lot like the description of Jesus Christ in Revelations, doesn't it? Sound of many waters, face shining brilliant. There's a lot of description similarities. And so some people believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ. Um, I will tell you there's a, there's a debate about that, and I'll tell you why. And I, I probably personally lean to more that it's an angel Gabriel than is the pre-incarnate Christ, but I wouldn't die on that hill. This is a, this is a tough one, I will just tell you. <clears throat> but these are some of the decisions you kind of gotta make as you go through and try to understand these things. So, because we're just putting this, these clues together, this mystery together. I'm going to skip down to verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, and he set me trembling on my hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have been sent to you. Now, the fact that he's been sent, that's what angels are. Angels are sent. So it kind of hints as an angel to me uh, in this particular case. And when he had spoken the words to me, I stood up trembling. And he said, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words." The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. So the hard part is, it's like, okay, so how can the prince, 
Okay, first of all, you have to ask the question, what the heck is a prince of Persia? I'm going to guess, and just so you know, today I'm going to have to tell you, there's a whole bunch of research under all these things, a bunch of opinions, a different views, and I'm going to, fortunately for you guys, I'm going to give you the correct one. <laughs> but I... Um, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of different views on all this, and I am going to give you a conservative view. I'm also going to give you the view that is the most raw biblically. Now, even though I don't fully understand it, I'm just going to say, well, this is what the Bible says. So that's, that's the view that I tend to drift toward, and because I really think you can push the Bible really, really hard, and it holds up. I don't have to allegorize and put this in metaphor. So I believe this is Daniel standing in the banks. I do believe this was a messenger. I think it was an angel because I don't think, I don't think the prince of Persia could withhold Christ. I think that makes it to me like this has got to be an angel. But listen to the rest of this. Here's the, the Marvel part of the story. Those of you that understand those kind of, kind of uh, metaphors. <clears throat> and I believe this is real. I don't think it's a metaphor. I believe it's real, but it still, it helps if you have some understanding. Uh, hand touched me, and he said, um, <clears throat> your words have been heard, and I've, and I've come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia stood me for 21 days. But Michael, <clears throat> one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the king of kings of Persia. So Michael, the archangel, and by the way, Michael's kind of a stud. I'll just tell you, we're going to hear more about him. <clears throat> but Michael, the archangel, came to help him. I think it was probably Gabriel. Anytime there was a message to Israel, Mary, um, the, the, the revelation about the John the Baptist, uh, anytime you see a messenger, it's Gabriel for Israel. Anytime you see a protector, it's Michael. It seems like these two archangels are assigned, if you will, to Israel or the people of Israel. And I think in particular, the land of Israel itself. And I'll just tell you that I just kind of make that as a, an assumption, but I want you to just kind of think through some of the things you see on the news <clears throat> and some of the things we see biblically. I think they're assigned to the land of Israel. Um, whenever they're scattered, whether they're in Germany and they were there for a while in Russia, <clears throat> they've been scattered all over the world, <clears throat> Babylon, Persia, there's always been problems, right? There's always, and, and they have to fight their way through to, to protect. I don't think they have to fight their way through, Michael and Gabriel. I don't think they have to fight their way through to protect them in their own land. And I think that place of their land is something really special. I don't know if you guys ever played freeze tag. We did. And in Kansas, it might be just a Kansas game. Everybody in the nine o'clock just looked at me like, never heard of freeze tags. So I'll explain the rules to you. It goes like this. So you're, <clears throat> you're in a gym and there's somebody that's it in the middle, maybe two or three people, I don't know. And you got all these kids over here trying to get across the other side of the gym. Now, if you get touched in freeze tag, you got to freeze, right? You're done. I think there's a way you can unfreeze you, but that's, it's been like 50 some years ago. So give me a break. So anyway, you can go across. <clears throat> and if you are, if you're on that end behind the, you know, the baseline, or on this end behind the baseline, you are in the free zone. You can walk back and forth and no one can touch you. That person is, is a freeze tag person that can touch you. It's like, hey, nope. It's a cosmic rule that I'm in the free zone, right? But if you're out here, you can be froze. And it's like a cosmic rule. You're froze, done. So we play these kid kind of games. But I, if you would just take that example. See, I don't think you guys played freeze tag. It was just a Kansas game. It was just something I learned. But, um, but if you... Um, I, th I think there's something about the land of Israel that is, that's unique. And I, I think the protection, 
And I want you to think about this prince of Persia that they had to fight through to get a message to Daniel. And I just wondered, I can't prove this. And I, I'll just tell you, you're going to have questions and I'm not going to be able to answer because I have a lot of questions too. Does that mean that every country has an angel? Does every, here's one thing I do know. It says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, Remember that in Revelation? It's the angel. Does that mean it's the angel or is that the pastor? Well, I don't know. It says the angel. Is there, is there a cosmic kind of messenger assigned to countries, to churches, to people groups? I don't. It brings up a lot of questions for me, too. But I'll just tell you, as I read this, there's some interesting kind of cosmic things going on. The prince of the <clears throat> kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Let me tell you a little bit more about this Michael. Uh, Michael, Daniel chapter 10, verse 20 through 21, this is what it says. Do you not know that why I have come to you, but now I'll have to return and fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Who's that? Tell you in a second. But I'll tell you uh, what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends at my side except Michael, your prince. I believe Michael is assigned to Israel, your prince. Who's da who Daniel's prince? Not personally, but the people. Let me, let me give you another example. Jude chapter 9. <clears throat> And kind of prove this point, just to chase it down a little bit. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, that'd be Lucifer, <coughs> over the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce blasphemous judgments, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael and Lucifer fought over the body of Moses. That's kind of a crazy cosmic marvel, right? Type of battle that I don't fully understand. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At the same time, um, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since the time of the nation until time of now. I think he's talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. And Michael will be the prince over their people. At that particular time, he's going to arise. And so this whole idea that Michael is assigned to Israel seems to be pretty well uh, satisfied in some extra other Bible passages. And it makes me wonder about this whole, the prince of Persia, who is that? As I think about what's going on today, you know, they, they, you know, they hate uh, America, they hate Israel, and yet behind them, behind the lines, there's a whole bunch of people coming to faith in Christ. And there's some supernatural things that are happening, visions and things that are convincing the Iranian people. You realize Iranians are Persian, right? Iraqis aren't Persian. Iraqis are Arab. Uh, Iranians are Persian. This is the old Persian empire, the Persian blood. And... Uh, and to think that there's a prince of Persia that's still lashing out against Israel, if you will. But there's also some other things going on, it seems like, behind the scenes. Uh, to, try to, to say that I understand it, I don't. Some of you are thinking, well, I think he's talking about some cosmic things. I don't think it really matters to me, and I don't know if I even believe it. If you drove here today, and if you have kids, you know that sometimes there can be a battle right? There's a battle trying to get here. If you're married, <clears throat> coming to church, sometimes there's a battle. Starting to get my point? If you're single and you got a battle, I can't help you. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But I will tell you, just to try to, anytime we do something that's good, there's a battle that goes on. This is going to be good for you. This is going to be good for us. It's good for our soul. We need to come. No, no, no. There's a battle. 
Anytime that you do something, I think there's a battle. And so do I think there's this, this cosmic battle? Yeah, I think there is. And I think there's a cosmic battle, not just for your family. There's a cosmic battle, not just for Persia, not just for Israel or America or our church. There's a cosmic battle for, for soul. And I don't think people really recognize that. And I think the hand of heaven has come after you with everything he's got trying to convince you somehow. That God loves you. And your circumstances don't tell you that God loves you, but God's saying, I love you. You matter. You're important. I died for you. But your circumstances are saying, well, it doesn't seem like it because I, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? It's a cosmic battle. It's a, it's a battle for your mind first. Ultimately, it's a battle for your soul. And I think that's why we say, we talk about this. And I wanted to even explain there's a battle. A big battle that we don't see out there, even for ourselves. I want to go back now and uh, and try to understand a little bit more about some things that are going on in Daniel. You know, if you if you followed a um, national treasure, there's a there's a line in National Treasure, and it says the secret lies with what was it? Charlotte. Charlotte. The secret. Thank you. I thought it would come to me while I was saying it, but it didn't. The secret lies with Charlotte. And, um, and I would tell you that if, if, you, were to, if you were taking a, a Bible prophecy class, I would tell you the secret lies with Daniel. If you can understand the book of Daniel, and it's hard, I'll tell you. There's a lot of metaphor and a lot of th crazy things in this, but you, you read it and study it and believe it. And when somebody, this scholarly, has put some pieces together, you start seeing it and you go, oh my gosh. This is, this is the most amazing thing. I'm going to show you some stuff today that I, I think if people understood the literalness of this, these prophecies, you would say, wow, I need, to, I need to dig in this a little bit more. Because I think we're all interested in what's going on in the end times. I think we're all interested in what's going on in Israel. Is this it? Is this the big battle? Is this the final thing? And I think the secret lies, not in Charlotte, but in Daniel. Let's take a look. Chapter 2, Daniel is uh, in still in uh, Babylon. He's prophesying. He's in his younger days. He's prophesying to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar came to his uh, satraps and his um, diviners and said, okay, I've had, a, I've had a dream. I want you to interpret my dream. He said, great. Tell us your dream, king, and we'll tell you what it means. He says, no, I want you to tell me what I dream, dreamt. And then tell me what it means. And by the way, if you don't do that, I'm going to throw you, you know, you're going to die. Fool, this up the ante a lot. Everybody was pretty anxious. You can imagine. Daniel said, let me go talk to my Lord. He goes, falls on his face before God and says, God, what? Can you give me this dream, Lord, and give me favor? And God gives him the dream and the interpretation of that dream. He goes before, he tells the guys, hey, guys, don't worry. My God's got this. Goes before Nebuchadnezzar, king, I got this. Here's what, here's what your dream was. He tells him the dream. It was the statue. And he says, here's what it means. I'm, I'm kind of cutting to the chase here, but this is Daniel chapter two. It says that head of gold, that's you, king. You're the king of all kings. You're the first one. And then after you will come another uh, country. It's the, the arms of silver. We know that to be the Medo-Persian empire. That came later. And then the, the belly of bronze. We know that to be the Greeks. And then the legs of iron. We know that to be the Roman empire. And by the way, even the, the two legs, Medo-Persian, and the two, two legs, uh, we got the West, Western uh, Rome in the West and Rome in the East. There's, there's the Byzantine or the uh, Constantinople and there's Rome. And it's like, there's, there's even some specificity in this, in this 
this uh, statue. And then the feet were made of iron and clay. So it's a revived, if you will, Roman empire that's going to come back together. And then there's a large stone cut out of the, a, a rock cut out of the big stone, hits the feet. The whole thing disintegrates and blows away like shaft. And that little stone turns into this mighty mountain. And in that passage, if you're able to understand it, God just explained all the Gentile kingdoms that are going to come and go and how it's going to end. There's going to be a kingdom at the end of this thing. Now, that's a big picture. Now, there's a lot of verses that come in and fill those picture pieces in. But that's in Daniel. I'm telling you, the secret lies in Daniel. You need to understand Daniel. Daniel chapter 8. Now, now Daniel is in, Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is in Persia. Uh, he's a little bit, he's older, I think probably in his 70s, 80s by now. And he has this vision of this ram and this goat. Now, this is what's cool about this one. This is very specific. But before I get to the punchline, I want you to know, there are a lot of scholars that don't believe in predictive prophecy. And they've done everything they possibly can to say, okay, this was Daniel actually experienced these and was looking back on these events. And that's why he was so accurate. And there's other conservative scholars coming in and say, no, I don't think so. Because of this and this and this, there's reasons to believe Daniel wrote it at 550 BC, and he was looking forward. The, the goat, which I'm going to tell you in a second, didn't happen until 330 BC, 220 years later. All right, hang with me. So here we go. Here's the vision, the ram and the goat. The ram, I'm just going to say real quick, the ram had two horns, one was higher than the other, and he conquered. North, south, he conquered everything. The two horns we know, and it was at that time, was the Medo-Persian Empire. That was not too hard. Everybody can kind of see that. That's the Medes and the Persians. The Persians are a little stronger, a little higher, a little more vocal, if you want to call it that, than the Medes. And so that kind of metaphor works, and they were conquerors. But the next one, this was predictive. I believe it was predictive. I believe he predicted it 200 years before it happened. That goat, the goat had a single horn coming out of his head, kind of like a unicorn. Think of a goat unicorn. And this goat unicorn was flying in this vision. He was flying across the, the, the surface of the ground so fast, and he would strike that ram right in between the horns and split the horns and, it, and destroy the ram. And that goat just conquered everywhere. And the goat, eventually that horn was broken and four horns came and, and overcame him. Now, you think of that and it's like, huh, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a guess at it. The angel didn't make him guess. This is what's really cool. It's right in Daniel chapter 8. As I was considering, behold, a male goat, and he went on, and then he heard a man's voice say, okay, Gabriel, make this man understand. In other words, a voice came, told Gabriel, make this man, Daniel, understand this vision. That's why I think this was probably Gabriel in chapter 10 as well. So he... Gabriel came near where I, Daniel, stood. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. As for the ram you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of the media and Persians. Persians. That's pretty simple. It's like that was right there in his day. But he tells it, he spells it out it's right here in, in Scripture. Verse 21, and the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. Who's that? Alexander the Great. There's no, I mean, it's like, it's perfect. And the way that he did, he, the way that it even, he flew across the way. I don't know if you know the story of Alexander the Great. This was 
this is all extra credit. This is not even part of my sermon. But you need to watch this. This is cool. The way that he would take his troops and he would take his horses and go this direction and get them to move and he'd come back, kind of this, this play, kind of, he kind of did this little move and he would cut through the people, the, you know, in a V, he would cut through and he would actually, that's how he destroyed, destroyed the Persians. Every battle he was in, he did this same little maneuver and it was, it was kind of a kind of a side fake this way and came back this way and destroyed people. He was, and, and he, what he's saying is that first horn, that is the first king. We know who that is. And then after him, listen, it says, as for the horn that was broken, in the place four others arose. If you know the story of the Greeks, Alexander the Great died in his 20s. There was four, king, four generals that came up after him, just like this says. This was 200, uh, 230 years before it actually happened. It's according to conservative scholars. <clears throat> the reason I say that is I think we need to try to understand that when the Bible prophesies something, you need to learn that you can be able to trust what it says. And it's literal. In this case, it spells it out for us. Sometimes it's not quite this clear. This next chapter, this is a really difficult one. I'm going to have to condense it really quick. Chapter 9. In chapter 9, if you can understand chapter 9 of Daniel, this is the 77s. If you can understand this, you'll understand that God has a plan for Israel. 70 times 7 is 7, 490 years. For 400, in 490 years, God will deal with the end of sin, all these, all these trespasses. Let me read it to you real quick. <clears throat> but what, what people don't realize is there's a gap. These, these guys didn't realize there's a gap. I believe there's a gap. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people, Israel people, and your holy city, Israel, to finish transgression. Has anybody read the news lately? But I don't think transgressions are finished over there. Apparently not. You guys, I, there's, it's not. I'll just try to take my word for it. To put an end to sin. Do you think an end to sin happened in Israel? To atone for iniquity. You could argue that maybe. To bring an everlasting righteousness. I don't think that's there yet. Not everlasting righteousness. To seal up both vision and prophet. To anoint the most holy place. The most holy place is anointed by the, the dome of the rock. So this, in my opinion, is not even close to being fulfilled. So some people say, well, this 490 years is already done. Well... It says after the first 69, 7, 69 times 7 is 483 years. After the first 483 years, Messiah would be cut off. It says it in this prophecy. And the Messiah, if you count, now this is where you're going to get a thousand different explanations. But there is a conservative view. I'm just going to tell you the one conservative bullet view, okay? If you take Nehemiah chapter 1 and take it literally, that's the decree to rebuild and to restore Jerusalem. And people have figured this out. It's March 5th, 444 BC. If you take 69 sevens, because that 70th seven hadn't happened yet, because we know they haven't had the end of sin. And you said that the seven sevens and the 42, I mean, 62 sevens, that makes 69 sevens. That's 483 years. That's 173,880 days. If you take that from the day that it was decreed to build the temple, you land on a really interesting day. You don't have to believe this if you don't want to, but I believe it down to my soul. Because I think God was so specific. When Jesus Christ came riding on the donkey, we call that the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus Christ came to offer himself to be their king. And the leader said, no, thank you. In fact, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus wept over the city. And he says, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. 
and Messiah would be cut off. Guess what happened? Four days later, Jesus Christ was put on a cross, was cut off. Guess what happened? 37 years later, Titus came from Rome. The prince, if you will, came from Rome, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, threw the stones off the Temple Mount, and they are crashed down. You, we've, we've taken tours and seen it. These rocks are crashed down. Even Jewish people will say, yeah, these all came from the, up there, and they were all from the temple, and they were thrown down by the Romans, AD 70. Everybody knows this. This is common knowledge. Do you realize that Jesus Christ prophesied that? Yeah, they don't believe that. It's like you, you can spell it out. You can see it with your own eyes. Jesus said this was going to happen. It happened. Yeah, I don't believe it. So it's really up to you. You're going to have to believe this stuff or not. But he laid it out for us. This is not even shrouded in that much mystery. You can get there with some pretty, a couple of conservative commentaries. You can figure this out. Well, I think you can push this thing really, really hard. And I think there's a gap. I think there's a gap between that being cut off and the Jewish people have been scattered since AD 70, been scattered. Europe, Russia, uh, is all over. They've been scattered all over the United States. And yet the Bible says they're going to be brought back and gathered back together. And this is the part that I think it's happening in our day. And the reason, one of the reasons I want to show you this today, I've shown it to you before, but it's like, the question is, is like, is this the, is this the great and final battle that we're seeing going on in Israel today? And I'm just going to answer it real quick. Based on the, if a literal biblical understanding, I would have to say no, but it could very well escalate to it. And the reason, what's, what's missing in the, in the whole battle today, what's missing is Israel, it says, will be completely on their own and, and God himself is going to deliver Israel. Right now, the United States has two warships parked in the Mediterranean. And I think the British have one as well. And so they're basically saying to Hezbollah, if you flinch, we're, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to like the results. So basically, America and Britain, and maybe there's others that I don't know of, are helping. And the Bible, if I take it literally, says uh, um, Israel is going to be on their own, and God himself is going to rain down those uh, hail and brimstone, and is going to wipe out the, the enemies of, of Jerusalem, uh, the enemies of Israel and the, the Jewish people. So... <clears throat> Do I think it's the, the final battle? No. Could it escalate? For sure. Because what could happen is, and you're seeing this happen right now. Just watch it. This waning of support of Israel or not. It's like, well, I don't know. There's a lot of Palestinians and this is getting sympathetic toward Palestine and all that. And I'm not saying what you should or shouldn't. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you the facts. Uh, if that tips and those ships leave the Mediterranean and Israel's on their own, that would be one of those indications of going, holy cow. Now you're all of a sudden lining up with biblical prophecy. Now, <clears throat> the Bible says, though, that Israel is going to be facing against Persia, which is Iran, Rosh, which is in the north. Turkey is Meshach and Tubal is, is Turkey. Gomer, which is uh, Sudan. And Libya is, I can't remember the, its ancient name, um, Put. Um, and so... Um, those, all those players are, have flirted with this, but they're not all in right now. So to me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't match the literal understanding of scripture. And I will just tell you, once you start seeing some literal things happening, then you go, wow, this is, we need to make sure 
that we're getting our facts straight. And, and I think you can jump the gun and say, well, this is going to be that and the end is here. And it's like, well, I don't know, maybe, but it doesn't seem to square with all the biblical examples right now. Okay, I'm going to stop with that. And I want to talk about the glory of Galilee because I think there is a glory going on in Galilee. And I think it's been going on for some time. It started actually in the early 1900s. In, in the 1800s, that place was a, a desert wasteland. Um, uh, Mark Twain said, not even the cactus or the jackal, those fast friends of the desert could survive, were surviving. He said they didn't see, they went up through the land, all through the land. No one was there. It was a desert in the 1800s, late 1800s, 1862 to be exact. That's when he went over there. That's when he made this report. <clears throat> In the early 1900s, called the Balfour Declaration, Balfour declared that Israel needs its own land. After the world, that was after World War I. After World War II, they realized, you know what? We need to carve out a place for the, the Jewish people. They've had it really, really tough. Let's, let's give them, they want their land. Let's give them their land. And so what ended up happening is they started coming back. Now, they drained the swamps. They started planting crops. They started this drip system. And I will tell you, this land is blooming like a garden. What's amazing about that is in Ezekiel, which is 500 years before the birth of Christ, 2,500 years before right now, Israel starts blooming like a garden and it's prophesied. I'm going to read it to you. <clears throat> Ezekiel 36, I've read this before. If you've been around here, some of you have heard me say this. But you, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they will soon come home. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and be sown and I will multiply the people on you, the whole house of Israel, for all, and all of its all of it. The city shall be inhabited and the waste places rebuilt. I will multiply on you men and beasts and they will shall multiply and be fruitful. I will cause you to be inhabited as, as the former times and will have even more good to you than ever before. Do you know the technology comes out of Israel? Most of the stuff that's in your phone comes out of Israel. Those cameras, all that stuff, those are Israel stuff. The, the amount of technology, the amount of uh, ingenuity or in all kinds of things, agriculture, is what comes out of Israel is the most amazing thing. This thing is coming true. If you've never been to Israel, you need to jump on a plane just for that reason to go see it. It's, it's unbelievable. Once you see it, Ezekiel 36, this is what God says. I scattered them among the nations. Anytime Israel didn't, didn't obey, he scattered them and they weren't under this protection. They get called back, man, they got this iron dome. This, these rockets come shooting in. They got the iron dome, picks them out of the sky. There's a, there's a story in the newspaper. <clears throat> this was from a few years back, but they were, this was back when they were shooting these uh, rockets from Gaza. And, you know, this happens all the time, and this Iron Dome picks them out of the sky. And at that time, they were about 90% accurate. There were some that got through. And uh, this one happened to get through. And let me read the newspaper article. It goes like this. The hand of God prevents rocket from striking its target. Israeli Iron Dome operator said a sudden gust of wind blew the missile into the sea when the def defense system failed. No, I don't know. Maybe it was Michael. Maybe it was a wind. Maybe it was a supernatural. You're going to have to decide what you think yourself. But I think that there's, and here's, here's the most amazing thing. In the article, the Palestinians in Gaza said their God is protecting them. Hello, do you see what you just said? Right? 
And so God said he's going to glorify himself through all these things, and people will see that he is God. And so I'm going to go back to Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, <clears throat> say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations and which, which you came. I will vindicate my holiness and my great name, which you have profaned among the nations. In other words, it's not because Israel is great or good or any of that or righteous. It's because of God's holy name. God said, I will protect you because I put my hand upon you with Abrahamic covenant. I promise to you. The reason this is important for you and me, because once we have this glory, we've accepted Jesus Christ. And even though we drift and we do our stupid stuff, just like Israel does, we drift, go astray. Do you think God's going to leave us or forsake us? He didn't forsake Israel, even though they don't obey. He's not going to forsake us either. This is an amazing promise. This shows you something about the character and the nature of God. Why does God do what he does? I don't fully understand. Is there a cosmic battle that I somehow don't see over nations, over churches, over your life? Yeah, you can believe that if you want to. I just explained a whole bunch of stuff that I don't fully understand myself. But do I think there's a battle? Yeah. There's a battle for your mind. You know, these lies that Lucifer, the Satan is the father of lies. Today, he's got a really good platform to, to spread lies, Right. The, all kinds of stuff on the internet, on your Twitter accounts, on whatever. You, know, you can just, he can just spread all kinds of lies. We like to think it comes from Russia or China, which probably, I'm not saying it doesn't. Physically, maybe it does. But I wonder if there's not a prince of darkness out there somewhere, the father of lies, just feeding anyone to listen. Gets right into our media. Makes it really hard to defend. You got to be careful. Got to be careful what you listen to. Got to be careful what you believe. Got to be careful what you attach yourself to. I'm going to have one more, one more verse I want to leave you with. Micah chapter 5. And the reason I want to do this is because we've got to put some Christmas in here somewhere, right? So here's a Christmas passage. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphrathah. Now, do you realize how important that is, Epaphrathah? There's two Bethlehems in Israel. One's up by Nazareth. That would make perfect sense. Jesus was born in, uh, was, uh, born in uh, Bethlehem and he was raised in Nazareth. That would make sense. That, but no, it says Bethlehem Epaphratha. That's the one in the south. That's down by Jerusalem. Very distinct. Epaphratha, that's the one that Ruth came back and married Boaz. was great-grandmother of, of King David. That's the one that King David was born in. Epaphratha, Bethlehem Epaphratha. It's a different place. It's the place where the wise men came. It's the place where the Herod said the babies were to, to be killed two years in age of under. It's the place where Jesus Christ was born. Bethlehem, Epaphratha. It's very specific. And I, the reason why I say that is that you've got to be careful. When you're reading this stuff, a lot of people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Blah, blah, blah. These words matter. And God's being very specific. But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphratha, you are little among the nations of the clans of Judah. But from you shall come forth for me a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old and from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she was, who was in labor gave birth, and the rest of those brothers shall return with the people of Israel and shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. The majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they shall dwell secure from now <clears throat> He shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Now listen to this. <clears throat> Sorry. When Assyrian, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our place palaces, 
Then we will rise against him, seven shepherds and eight princes of men. I have no idea who that is, just so you know. I, I haven't read any commentaries about it. And it's like, this is interesting to me. But I just want you to get it. When the Assyrians come into our land and tread on our places, by the way, right now, the, the proxies are in the land. The proxies of Iran is Hezbollah in the north, uh, Hamas in the south, the proxies. They're not, it's not actually literally Iran. They've kind of kept themselves distant, but they're giving them munitions and everything else that they can do these things. But just keep that in mind as I continue to read. And tread on our palaces. Then we will rise against them, seven shepherds and eight princes of men, and, that, and shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod in his entrances. In the Bible, Assyria is another name for Persia. Persia is Iran. And it's amazing to me that here we are in getting ready to do Christmas, and it says, Bethlehem of Paphatha, you'll have this ruler rise and he will have peace. And anytime the Assyrian comes in, he's going to send out forces to push back against them. And guess what? who the, the forces, um, I don't know who the forces are that he's sending out, but the force that's coming against them is Assyria. Assyria is Persia. Another name for Persia. Persia is Iran. That's what's happening in our day. It's built in, baked into this stuff. Yes, you have to kind of get your Indiana Jones on to see it. But I will tell you, God has laid out these mysteries and he's shown us these things, and he's laid out the, the end times of, and some of it you can understand really easily, some of you can't, but I will tell you, you got to be really careful who you listen to. There's a lot of different opinions out there, and I will tell you, just, I'm just going to give you one thing. There's a conservative view, and that conservative view basically says, the literal understanding of this is blank. This is what the Bible takes, takes you to. And if you just take the little literal translation, it may take you to a place you don't believe and don't understand, but that's where it takes you. And it's like, oh, that's, <laughs> but here's what I want you to know out of all this stuff, all this prophecy, what the most literal thing is that I believe there is a literal battle going on. Nations. Yeah, I do think so. Is that if, does, that, does, the, does the cosmic battle affect the battle down here? Yeah, somehow. Is it lies? Probably. Not sure exactly how that all works. But here's what I do know. There's a battle for your soul. And that battle probably even started this morning for you to even show up today. Should I go? I don't even know. I don't even think it matters. I don't but you won that battle. For whatever reason, that battle got won. And you're here. And I'm going to imagine there's been a battle for some of you that's like, you know what? There's a whole bunch of bad stuff happening in my life. I don't know if I believe in God or not because of all the bad stuff. Yet the Bible says he loves me. And you're, you're battling your own understanding of who God is. And I hope that you can understand that, that God keeps his word, that God is love, God is just. I don't fully understand everything that God does, but here's what I do know that God says, if if you've tasted this glory, here's the, here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if you've got that hope of glory in you, even though you stray, even though you've maybe not fully understood, maybe you're frustrated with God, there's a battle going on and he's battling for your soul. If you're here today, there's a good chance you're, he's winning that battle. If you've never received Christ, Anna, would you would you let that glory, this is your hope of glory. I'm going to pray with you. And I hope you'll understand, maybe a little bit more, be a little bit more aware of a cosmic battle.
Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. <clears throat> I thank you for the prophecy of your word. There's so much. No other, no other book has predictive prophecy. And about 30% of this book is prophecy. We don't talk enough about prophecy. So much of it came true in Christ's day. So that we can look and say, well, that was perfect. I wonder if, if the future could be that spot on. Could you be that accurate about the future? Lord, I pray for that person today that battled through and came here and, and they're struggling to understand if, if God, if you're real and if you really do love them. And I pray that, Lord, that you would win that battle in their mind. But ultimately, Lord, that you'd win that battle, battle in their soul. That they would understand that this Christ, <coughs> this Jesus who died for them, and they receive this great forgiveness, this is, this is the hope of glory. I pray for that understanding. I pray that someone maybe even receives that gift even today. And they'll have a whole new perspective. Their eyes will be opened and they'll start seeing, wow, this, there's a whole new understanding of who God is. I pray for that, Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Make sure to check out our companion podcast where we dig deeper into an aspect of each week's sermon with questions and applications that are great for your Bible study or your grow group conversations. Like and subscribe to the channel as well so you don't miss any of our sermons or content. And if you're interested in our church, come check us out at CheyenneHills.org. And remember, be strong and very courageous.